The reading for today is from Galatians 5, verse 25 to 6, verse 5. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. This is the word of the Lord. Be God. Let's pray. Father, you tell us that your word is alive and active. And we have heard from your word this morning. And I pray that by your spirit, you would prompt us to lean in and hear the word preached in faith and meekly receive it in our hearts and allow it to affect us. Allow allow it to affect us in, in the way that we move out toward one another and fulfill together the law of Christ. Father, we want to be a people fully submitted to our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We cannot do that without the help of your Spirit. So move among us. Bring conviction with it where it's necessary. Bring encouragement and grace to obey you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Fred. I'm part of the team here, and uh, Brant should never make fun of me when he's up here doing announcements because I get to preach, and he might show up in a sermon illustration. <laughs> he's not here. I, I thought I was getting him. Anyway, um, we are back together now uh, in the book of Galatians. We're, we're in the final chapter of Galatians, and uh, we've got a few more weeks in this wonderful book. We've just obviously come off... Easter, where last week we celebrated the resurrection of Christ. And I think every week we we ought to greet one another with the good news that he is risen. Uh, That is not just for Easter Sunday. That is for every day. Jesus is the reigning Lord uh, of the church. And he works all things uh, together for our good. And so as we jump into the last chapter in Galatians, let's lean in, receive his word and uh, and receive the challenge to to live this out. There's a lot of practical stuff here in this final chapter of Galatians. We spent a lot of weeks on justification by faith and we're solid in understanding that we are not saved by the works that we do, that we are saved by the work that Jesus Christ has done for us. We are righteous in God's sight through that work that he has done, through earning our righteousness for us by being obedient to God that is imputed to us. We're good on that. But that doesn't mean, although we're saved by faith alone, the faith that saves us is not alone. We are people who are called to live by faith and walk out our faith. And particularly, um, 
to walk out our faith in relation to one another in the church. And that's where Paul focuses a lot of his attention toward the end of the book of Galatians. The passage that we're looking at this morning takes its cue from verse 25 that that, uh, Leanne just read for us, where Paul is continuing to instruct us about what it means to keep in step with the Spirit. We want to be people, Christians ought to be people who want to keep in step with the Spirit of God, with the Spirit of Christ who's at work in us. And he gives us this instruction about keeping in step with the Spirit. And it's not by having some sort of, um, you know, mystical experience, but rather his instruction here is that keeping in step with the Spirit is very much about learning to love and to serve one another in the body of Christ. That's how we keep in step with the Spirit. So the text we're looking at this morning, I have three points if you're taking notes. First, there's a warning. Second, we'll look at an obligation. And third, we'll look at an application of that obligation. So a warning, an obligation, and an application. And Paul begins this section with a word of warning. A word of warning. In verse 26, this is what he says. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let us not become conceited. The word translated here as conceited is literally, let us not become empty with our own glory. Uh, the, the old King James Version translate that, translates this as vain glory, empty glory. Let's not be filled up with the emptiness of our own glory. See, there's a contrast here. Um, instead of pressing into the revealed glory of God in Christ, all of us have this tendency uh, to, to really focus too much on ourselves, right? We have this tendency to, to sort of navel gaze. And Paul knows that. And so he warns us about not becoming conceited. See, when we're conceited, our own glory eclipses and overshadows the glory of the Lord. When we're conceited, we are big in our own imagination. And comparatively, Jesus is much smaller. And that's never good. That's to have the way things are in the universe um, Dangerously out of whack. That is to be really dangerously out of step with the Spirit. And that affects us when we're full of our own sense of glory and greatness. That affects us. It affects us in the church. It affects our relationship. And as Paul says here, that when we're full of ourselves, what do we do? Well, we end up provoking one another. Or we end up uh, envying one another. The late pastor, a British pastor, John Stott, describes, I think quite insightfully, uh, the way that we do this when he writes, We are motivated by feelings either of inferiority 
or superiority. If we regard ourselves as superior to other people, we challenge them. For we want them to know and to feel our superiority. If, on the other hand, we regard them as superior to us, we envy them. In both cases, our attitude is due to conceit, to our having such a fantasy opinion of ourselves that we cannot bear rivals. That is what Paul is warning us against here, because that is very dangerous for the health and the harmony and the unity of the church. We have to guard ourselves against becoming puffed up and conceited and thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. We ought to hear and heed this warning. Because the way we view ourselves will invariably influence the way that we treat others, won't it? Our attitude toward others should not be, I am better than you and I'm going to prove it to you. Nor should it be, you're better than me and I resent it. That's what Paul wants us to guard against. We are people, brothers and sisters, we are people who have been Loved and served by the Lord of glory. And so we are a people that need to um, really forget ourselves. There there needs to be sort of a a self-forgetfulness about us because of who we are in Christ. And we need to take that identity of who we are in Christ and live it out as we love and serve each other. That's what this text is all about. That's what it means to keep in step with the Spirit. So that's the warning. And then Paul turns to the second thing I want to point out from this text. He points out an obligation that we have. Look in verse 2 with me, if you would, please. In verse 2, we're called to bear one another's burdens. And so, by, by doing so, to fulfill the law of Christ. We're to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're not to be provoking each other and envying each other. No, we're to bear one another's burdens. This is an obligation. We're obliged to bear one another's burdens. Now, there's a couple of things in this text that I just want to take a moment to unpack with you. First, this verse assumes that it is normal for Christians to have burdens, right? Paul assumes that we have burdens from time to time. All of us, without exception, experience struggles, trials, temptations, doubts, worries, anxiety, problems. That's not out of the, that's not unusual. That is normal. Paul assumes it. They may be, they may be physical problems, moral problems, spiritual problems, psychological problems, physical problems, financial problems, relational problems. Trying to cover the whole, the whole sea here. We're messed up. And, and I say this just that, 
It's okay not to be okay. The church is not the place where we get ourselves all spick and polish and and clean and tidy and all the nice straight edges and everything's neat and perfectly in its place and then we come to church. We're people who come to church. We're people who, who gather together with our burdens. And that's okay. Paul knows it. Paul, it's normal. It's not the exception. We should not, we, we cannot imagine, please don't imagine for a moment, that Christians live at some, you know, higher spiritual plane of burden-free reality where it's sunshine and smooth sailing all the way. That's not reality. We don't have it all together. We're often overwhelmed. We're often feeling weak or confused or disoriented. Burdens of various kinds are par for the course in the Christian life. Let me just say this. It's, It's usually... It's usually pride in our lives that keeps us from admitting that fact. We want to present the perfect picture of ourselves. And so it's usually pride that keeps us from admitting that I'm feeling overwhelmed. That I am having trouble handling my life right now. That's, that's pride that just keeps us from, from, from being honest about that with our spouse, with our kids, with our our brothers and sisters in Christ, with our pastors. Don't let pride rob you of the reality that Paul says is just normal. And don't let pride hold you back from moving towards someone with a burden and helping them to bear it. We'll touch on that in a second. Second thing Paul points out in these verses is that, and this is assumed here, that Christ works through the members of the church. Christ is at work through those who bear others' burdens. Now, Christ bore our ultimate burden of sin and guilt when he was crucified for us on the cross when he became sin for us, when he was punished in our place. That is what we celebrated and remembered together on on Good Friday. He has taken the ultimate burden that no one else but him can bear. But now, as the risen and reigning Lord of the church, he continues to bear our burdens by equipping us to serve one another. That is how Christ bears our burdens. For the most part, Christ bears your burden and my burden by bringing along someone else in my life and in your life to help us bear it. That's how he's at work in the body. There's a great example of this in the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul had some issues with the church in Corinth. 
He was was beside himself. He was worried. He was concerned about how they were doing. And he wrote them a very hard, a very difficult letter. He said some things to them that were hard for them to receive. And he was concerned about how they were responding to what he had written them. And, and so he wrote them another letter telling them of his concern. And in 2 Corinthians 7, 5, he says that he had no rest. He was so worried about them that he couldn't rest. He says that he was afflicted in every turn and that he was full of fear within. Boy, I love it when Paul's so honest. I, I just... There's so much freedom in, in hearing some, somebody like Paul speak this way. Are you ever fear, full of fear and trembling within? So is the Apostle Paul. And so he, he writes them telling them this. And then in verse 6, this is what we read. But God, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us. By the coming of Titus. You hear that? Think about that for a moment. Paul was not comforted by some spiritual experience of the Holy Spirit working in his life. He wasn't comforted as the Spirit revealed something to him from the Bible as he was reading the Scriptures. I'm sure those things were going on, but that's not what Paul points out as the source of his comfort. Paul says that God comforted him through the presence and the ministry of Titus. Titus, God sent him Titus, and Titus is the one that brought the Lord's comfort to him. Titus helped the Apostle Paul bear his burden. When we're unwilling when we're unwilling to share our burdens with others, or we're unwilling to bear the burden of others, what we're really saying is no. We're saying no to the ministry of Jesus among us. Think about that. How does Jesus minister among us? Through us, through you. That's very humbling. That's very glorious. That, 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 that I could be an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. That's what we are. That's what it means to be a Christian. We are instruments for good in the hands of our faithful Savior. That's such good news. Look around you this morning. There are people throughout this room who are bearing burdens. There are people all around us all the time who are bearing burdens. And if you have a burden this morning, can I encourage you humbly, please? Can I encourage you to share it? It takes humility to do that. But can I encourage you to move towards someone that you know, maybe Maybe you think, I don't know them well enough. Take a chance. Move toward them and unburden yourself with them 
invite them to bear this burden with you. And, and if you're, you're not feeling overly burdened this morning, then great, what an opportunity. Perhaps you have a sense that somebody around you this morning is feeling overwhelmed and confused and burdened. Maybe gently move toward them after the gathering. Invite them out for coffee or lunch. And just say, how are you doing? How can, is there anything going on? Is there anything that I could help you with? How can I help you bear the burden that you might be bearing? That's an opportunity we all have. And as we move toward others in order to help, we are a means of Christ's ministry to that person. So how does Christ want to minister to others through you in the church? That is a question that I I think we should ask ourselves often, every day, and then take the opportunities that he presents to us, to go through those doors that he's opening up for us. Third thing that Paul says in these verses is that bearing one another's burdens, by bearing one another's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. Now, the law of Moses, as we've seen before, is a burden that we cannot bear. It will crush us. It will crush us under a weight of guilt and condemnation. No one can bear the burden of the Mosaic law. Only Christ has fulfilled that. And he went to the cross in order to fulfill it. But the kind of law that we're talking about here is one that we can fulfill by the grace of God through confidence in Jesus Christ. We can fulfill the law of Christ. How? Paul tells us right here, by bearing one another's burdens. See, the law of Christ is, is to love others as we have been loved. That's what Jesus taught us. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you should love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is a long way from that sort of sentimental, schmarmy love that is propagated throughout our culture. This is a long way from that. This kind of love is the sort of love that is willingly moving toward others in order to help bear the weight of of what they're bearing, to help bear their burden with them and for them. This is the kind of love that cares for our neighbor the way that we care for ourselves. This is the sort of love that the Spirit produces. As we looked a few weeks ago at the fruit of the Spirit, and Paul began that list with this kind of love. This is the, the love that is produced in our lives by the Spirit when we keep in step with Him. And love like this isn't optional. 
Love like this is a responsibility of everyone who calls themselves a Christian. In 1 John 4, we read this. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So Christ City, let us seek to fulfill the law of Christ by demonstrating this love through the mutual ministry of bearing one another's burdens. So Paul lays out this obligation for us in verse 2 that we've been considering. And then in verses 3 to 5, he writes this. For if anyone thinks he is something, then when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Now, I don't know about you, but it's not, in, not initially super clear to me how verses 3 to 5 relate to verse 2. So you have to put your thinking cap on for a second. You think, what on earth is he getting at? And I think what he's doing here is he's bringing in again the problem that he warned us about in verse 26. He's warning us about, about bearing one another's burdens of, of this ministry of burden bearing, but then becoming conceited about it. He's, he's introducing again the problem of pride. See, a conceited person, a person that has too high an opinion of themselves, may be tempted to think something like this. Bearing one another's burdens? What am I, a pack mule? Let somebody else do that. Paul says that that's a form of self-deception. The person that thinks of themselves in that way is really nothing. They're not who they think they really are. Now, that may be one way in which Paul is introducing the problem of pride again. Or perhaps he is addressing people, and, and, and this happens too, people that gain this sort of sense of spiritual superiority by serving others and, and bearing others' burdens. And, and they're doing it so well and they're doing it so often that they kind of begin to look down on the rest of us. Why aren't you bearing the burdens the way that I'm bearing burdens? You know, have you met those people? Lovely people to be with. You know, they, they, they begin to kind of look down on you a little bit because they are the benchmark of spirituality and faithfulness. Really fun to hang out with them. See, they're deluded as well. And that may be the kind of person Paul has in mind here. And he says, either way, whichever form of pride gets in there, he says, test your own work. Stop comparing yourself to everybody else. Test your own work so that your reason to boast will be in yourself alone and not in how favorably you think you compare with everybody else. That's the idea here. See, the language of boasting for Paul sounds very weird to us because we know that Paul's the guy who's always saying, like, don't boast in yourself, boast only in the Lord. 
So why does he talk like that here? And I think the answer to that question becomes clearer for us when we look at verse 5. In verse 5, he says, For each will have to bear his own load. Now, what's he talking about? I think Paul here is is saying that when it comes to evaluating ourselves, we mustn't make comparisons. Rather, we should focus on the final account that we will all have to give before the Lord at the end of the age. We will all have to bear our own load on that day. See, the Lord's evaluation of us is ultimately the only one that really matters. It's the only accurate evaluation of us. We all get it wrong with regards to each other. We don't, you don't know my story. I don't know your story. You don't know my strengths and weaknesses and gifts, and I don't know yours fully. And so we, we ought to give each other a pretty wide berth, a lot of grace, a lot of patience, We only will, at the end of the age, have to answer to Jesus, the Lord of the church. And that's what Paul is encouraging us to think about. He says, take your responsibility to love and to serve and to bear one another's burdens so seriously that you assess yourself now in light of eternity. That's what he wants us to do. He doesn't want us to get distracted with comparisons. He wants us to stand confidently before the Lord on the great and final day and hear from Jesus, well done, my good and faithful servant. And then our boast will be in what Christ has accomplished in us and through us for his glory. The truth is that this text teaches us about our personal responsibility before God on the day of judgment in verse 5 and our mutual accountability to others in verse 2. We can't divorce the two. They go together. We've got to have a, a holistic biblical view of our own personal responsibility to God. No one else is going to bear my burden on the day of judgment. I have to bear my own. On the other hand, how I will stand on that day will depend upon how faithfully I have been accountable to others in the body of Christ to help them bear theirs. Verse 2. They both go together. We are not autonomous individuals the way our culture is continually telling us. We are both responsible and accountable. Make sense? Paul ends the third point with an application. And I come back to verse 1 in order to to look at this. He says in verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. See, now Paul is taking our obligation and he's focusing it in on a particular application. The application of helping someone bear the dangerous burden 
of their sin, of their transgression, someone who is caught in a transgression. This, this is a burden that we, we most often bring upon ourselves, isn't it? But, but sometimes sin is so subtle, it, it catches us. We, we fall into it. And, and we're, we're in over our heads. We're beginning to say things and do things before we realize it that are clearly out of line with the Spirit, that are clearly not pleasing to the Lord. And in that point, what we need is somebody else to come along and help restore us. That's what Paul's point is here. Sin is serious, but sin should never surprise us. Paul assumes here that people in the church fall into sin. They get caught in their transgressions. Paul does not see the church as a gathering of sinless saints. Hardly. So how do we respond when a brother or sister in Christ is is caught in a transgression? Well, Paul tells us, restore them. Restore them. The Greek behind this term is one that is, is used from medicine and it describes helping to set a bone that has been out of joint or, or to set a bone that is broken so that it might heal properly. If you don't set a bone properly, it's not going to heal fully. Paul wants the gospel to have its full effect in the church by bringing restoration and healing and forgiveness to those that are caught in transgression. This word for restore is also used in Mark one nineteen, where it says that the disciples were mending their fishing nets. See, this is a very active thing. And this, this assumes that we're, we're living lives of humility and transparency and accountability with one another. There's no such thing as an autonomous individual. We, we don't, it was, it was Cain that said, am I my brother's keeper? We, we are our brothers and our sisters keepers. And that's a good thing because we often Move off course. We need correction. We need restoration. I am so thankful for the times that people, brothers and sisters in Christ, have not turned a blind eye to some habit, some sinful, selfish habit that I've got into. They haven't turned a blind eye to it, but they've, they've gone toward me and they've brought a word of restoration, of correction. They've called me to repentance. They've called me to believe and to put my life back in line, back in step with the Spirit, back under the safest place, under the Lordship of Christ. We all veer off course. James 5.20 says, Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death. Jesus spoke about this in Matthew eighteen fifteen when he says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained, you have restored your brother. So who should do this? Well, Paul tells us. Who should be in the restoration business? 
Well, Paul says it's those who are spiritual in the church. Now, he's not talking about some super higher echelon level of, you know, mega wonderful Christian. Boy, I thought that would get a response. Um, I, I'm trying to get online with the, uh, the superhero movie coming up here. Um, he's not thinking about that. He's not thinking about some superhero Christian. He's thinking about those who are walking in step with the Spirit. Those who are producing the fruit of the Spirit. That should be all of us. All of us should say that we are, we are spiritual. We're walking in step with the Spirit. This isn't some sort of saint that only you know, gets a stained glass window. And so all of us should be about this. Helping to restore those who are caught in any transgression. So how do we do this? Well, Paul is very clear here as well. In a spirit of gentleness. In a spirit of gentleness. I was watching a, a documentary uh, a couple of weeks ago about how they restore um, old master paintings. That, you know, they're 500 years old and they get cracks and, and they get problems and maybe they haven't been looked after and they have to restore them. And it's amazing. They do it in these super clean rooms and everybody's got gloves on and masks on and, and they're just so gently touching the canvas and trying to get the soot and the, the dirt off it. Gentle, careful, patient. That should be the kind of way that we approach others who are caught in any transgression in order to see them brought back and restored and set in place. In the spirit of gentleness. And then Paul, Paul adds again, I think he's bringing in this concern about being conceited. He says, but, but keep watch on yourself. Be careful to keep a watch on yourself when you're seeking to restore a brother and sister, lest you too be tempted. Now, it might be tempted to fall into sin with them, but I don't think so. I think it's tempted to be self-righteous. Tempted to think, how could that happen? That would never happen to me. I would never do what you have done. Like, not gentle. Real stupid. I mean... Brothers and sisters, we ought to be people who say, but for the grace of God, there is, there is no sin, there is no transgression that I might be caught in. It could happen to any one of us. We should restore in a spirit of gentleness, knowing how weak and vulnerable and frail we are. Right? Right? This is a beautiful picture of how the gospel works in the body of Christ. We have been bought with the blood of Christ. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord. That it, chapter 6 begins with the word brothers and it ends with the word brothers. We are family. And in Christ, by His grace, through this glorious good news of forgiveness and reconciliation... We need to minister to one another. We need to serve one another in love. We need to bear one another's burdens. And we need to, at times, bring a word of restoration to those who are caught in sin. And, and, and that includes all of us. This isn't just for the pastors. There's no mention of any pastors in this passage. 
Let's, let's do that together, shall we? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask by your grace that we would be a people who take your word seriously and, and feel the obligation that it lays upon us, but know that you're there with us, that by your spirit, Christ is with us to bear this burden and to, and to fulfill his law for us by loving one another in this sacrificial and and sometimes weary and difficult way. But strangely, we find ourselves refreshed when we do it. Would you refresh us as we seek to serve one another? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.